Hello, and welcome to the Basic Income Podcast. I'm Owen Poindexter. And I'm Jim Pugh. There was some big news in the basic income space over the last week. The RSA in the United Kingdom released a proposal that would provide nearly every person in the United Kingdom with a basic income going forward. And it's been getting a fair amount of attention there. So joining us is the director of the Action and Research Center of the RSA. Joining us from London is Anthony Painter. Welcome, Anthony. Good to be here. To start, could you tell us about the RSA and what it is that the organization does? Sure. So the RSA has been around for 250 years or so. Um, we were a sort of learned society that was set up in you know, the early years of the Enlightenment um, in the late part of the um, 18th century. And nowadays we connect um, ideas to action. So we do research, um, we look at policy um, propositions, and we think about how to change things in a more progressive direction uh, effectively. So we're always thinking about you know, where society needs to be headed in terms of you know education, public services, the economy, um, and we try and come up with good ideas in those spaces. So what's driving the RSA's interest in basic income? A number of things, I think. Um, it, one, I think it's, it, it's an observation of um, a system that isn't working currently. Um, we think too many people face too great a burden of economic insecurity. Uh, we think the modern welfare state is deeply corrosive in many ways um, and punitive. Um, and we think that adds to the economic insecurity. So we're interested in thinking, well, if you give people a more secure base, what can they do with that? You know, Can they pursue new ideas, whether that's a new business, um, switch streams in terms of their work, reskill, retrain, um, take on board greater caring responsibilities, make a broader contribution um, in essence. And and we had a look at basic income as, as one of the propositions to help facilitate a society where people were more supportive so they could be more creative. Um, and we liked what we saw and we thought there's a sensible proposition here, actually, and we've been working on it for about five years as a consequence. Can you tell us a bit more about the work leading up to this? What is it that you've been focused on up until now? We started to make public interventions on um, UBI um, about four years ago, having done a bit of initial research, um, and it culminated in probably our first report on this, which was in December 2015, called um, Creative Citizen, Creative State, um, the Principled and Pragmatic Case for Universal Basic Income. Um, so having identified it as, a, as, as a, an interesting proposition from a perspective of, of economic um, security and creativity, we then looked at the different models, we looked at the research, we um, reassured ourselves that actually it wasn't too good to be true, that it, it could be workable. Um, and uh, we put together a practical model. Um, and when we published that report just over two years ago, that in itself really provoked a much wider debate in, in, in the UK about it. And it's just carried on ever since. And we've carried on doing work and making public interventions. And we've come out with our latest proposition, which is, I'm sure we're going to talk about, but the you know, Universal Basic Opportunity Fund. Before we jump into that, I'm curious what you went through to decide that this was not too good to be true. What were the questions you had there? Is it affordable? Is it workable? Um, has it worked when basic income or basic income type schemes um, have been tried? Um, can you imagine a, a politics of change that could lead towards a basic income? Um, and when we'd reassured ourselves um, about all those elements, um, then we were happy to uh, move forward. And 
you know we're, we're kind of you know a reputable organization in the, in a uk context and and beyond in fact we have a we have a, a us um affiliate as well but i think when we added our voice to the debate it it, it helped edge it into a sort of more respectable mainstream conversation uh, and that's had a whole series of of consequences the most significant of which i think is the scottish government um which has allocated a pot of money to um explore the feasibility of basic income pilots in Scotland. Now, I'm not saying that was a direct consequence of our of our report, but we've been very active in that conversation. I think our voice in that debate certainly um, helped reassure the Scottish government that this is something that was worth looking at. So now to dig in, can you tell us what is actually in this proposal that you've rolled out? Yeah, I mean, I think one of our concerns with how the basic income um, discourse and debate has evolved is that the post-work narrative has become too dominant. And we've always been interested in basic income um, in its um, characteristic um, in supporting good work. So we see it as a good work rather than rather than post-work um, intervention. And so we were thinking, okay, um, looking at you know the political reality of uh, you know a, a society where, which has its sort of you know, cultural dispositions, not dissimilar to some of the cultural dispositions you might find in a lot of American politics. How can we make this relevant and real to that time? Um, of environment. So we wanted to frame a, a basic income type um, intervention very tightly around opportunity and supporting people in their working lives without setting the conditionality that we see in a current welfare state, which means that people are sanctioned and so on and so forth. So that's what we set out to do. We also wanted to start to set out some practical stepping stones towards a full universal basic income. Um, I think over time, we've become less and less convinced that basic income is that you could um, fund um, predominantly through the existing tax system. You have to think of other sources of, of, of revenue in a very modern environment to build towards a basic income that is sufficient. So what we've laid out is, is a stepping stone in that regard, in effect. And what are some of those steps along the way to, to fund and implement a basic income? I think you've got to have some um, experiments and pilots and um, obviously um, it in the US, there's, there's Oakland and, and, and Stockton and other places um, having a look at it as well. And in Canada, you've got Ontario and other places looking at it. And obviously, there's a Finland experiment. A, a lot of the sort of basic income advocates are, uh, you know, are kind of getting a bit sniffy about, about these experiments and pilots, but they're all useful data. None of them are, are a full universal basic income being piloted, but they all have interesting characteristics that you could relate to how a basic income would operate in practice. So we'd like to see that in the, in the UK. And I think there's a possibility in Scotland. And it's not just to prove um, the, the, the benefits of, of basic income. And I think there are, would be very significant benefits of basic income that are provable in the context of a pilot. It's also to see how it would work in relation to um, other institutions, how it would work in relationship to local economies, how it would work in relationship to local public services, housing, and so on. This is a big idea and a big change, and you really have to test it. So I think experiments are, are step one. I think step two is we need a broad public conversation conversation about this. This is not going to be the sort of technical policy you can sneak under the radar um, and you know could be implemented overnight. It's something that you have to build a wide public conversation and support behind. Um, and so you need to engage civil society in a very active conversation around not only is basic income a good idea, um, but how can we implement it to get the most out of it? And we, we support the idea of a civic basic income. It's one that supports people um, to make the 
a contribution in a wide area, a wide range of areas in, in, in their lives. And that's the sort of conversation that we're interested in. And then I think you can start to take some bold steps. And the, the idea that we've laid out um, is that you could give people, um, and we, we set it under 55, but it could be under 65, which is under the social security age or the pension age in, or, or the basic state pension age in the UK. But you give people under 55 access to two payments, two annual payments of £5,000, which would also apply to their, their families in the years that they claimed it. So it would be on an individual basis. Um, and this would be an opportunity fund so they could use it to reskill set up a business um, better balance their care responsibilities uh, with work or shift work work streams in effect so I think you can start to get bolder then over time then you can start to work work towards a full UBI and I have to say Finally, on, the, on this very long flowing thought, underpinning all this is the idea of establishing a, a sovereign wealth fund um, and that becoming a primary source um, underpinning a future basic income. The sovereign wealth fund is Norway, um, obviously Alaska, um, Singapore, others um, have in place. You just mentioned the idea of, of having two payments a year and obviously Alaska does theirs annually. Most basic income proposals talk about monthly payments. Can you say a bit more of your thinking around that perspective as far as payment frequency? Yeah, I think that's that's a very good question, and I think my my it's it's two payments of um, well, it's it's two amounts of five thousand pounds in a ten year period that you would have access to, and you could take that at a time of your your choosing, subject to advice and identification of what you would use it for without setting conditions on that. I think ultimately you'd want to make it as basic income like as possible, um, and this is something that I think we're interested in having a discussion about. My my personal instinct is um, that it should be on a on a frequent basis um, because I think the if you did it in an Alaska style way which is annually um, I think probably what you do is start to skew the usage of that towards particularly doing things like paying off debts rather than making investments now paying off debts is a perfectly worthy thing to do when you're trying to sustain your economic security um, but we also want to balance that against the, the, the idea of supporting people to gain more skills try new ideas so on and so forth so I think probably the right frequency would probably end up being a about a, a sort of monthly payment. What's the reaction been so far to your proposal? Uh, gobsmacking. Um, and, uh, you know, just, I, I can't describe how how long I've wanted this to get into a sensible mainstream space where it wasn't straight away, you know, treated as a sort of caricature or a marginal idea that's kind of fun, but isn't it all a bit silly? Um, and on Friday, we achieved it. And I, and I wasn't anticipating it, I have to say, because, you know, the, the proposition is quite bold and we're talking hundreds of billions of pounds worth of investment um, here. So it's not insignificant. And of course, when we were thinking about how it was going to land in the public conversation, we're, we're worried about the cost. We're worried about all the, the, the familiar things that get thrown at basic income, like people will give up work, be idle and all those sorts of things, which basically are rubbish, um, but are, are very prevalent in a public discussion. And, and there are ways of keeping it out of the mainstream agenda. But what actually happened on Friday morning, it just started rolling. It hit on the BBC website very early on. 
every national newspaper pretty much uh, covered it from across the political spectrum, from a range of views. It was treated with um, with seriousness. And you know, I had to. I was on the radio and TV pretty much all day on Friday, having conversations, you know, phone-ins and so on and so forth. And all the conversation was about, you know, this ten thousand pounds. What would we use it for? You know, would it really make a difference? It wasn't what what a harebrained scheme this is. How why on earth have you become crazy crazy enough to to, to propose this? So, you know, we've got an endorsement from Cosmopolitan UK for the idea. So, you know, that's, that's as mainstream as it gets, I think. Um, so I think it, it, there are some wider lessons here um, for the basic income movement. I think, I think advocates of basic income can afford to be a bit bolder and actually sort of challenge people to imagine what this would mean in their lives and concentrate on the experience of basic income rather than the technicalities of it or the research of it. That's all important, of course. You can't, you, you can't survive scrutiny without those things. But the public conversation can be an imaginative one. And when you do that, suddenly it opens up a space that we haven't managed to open up before and think is kind of unique in the UK environment anyway. That sounds fantastic. I'm, I'm not sure I'm sold that that's possible in the US just yet. <laughs> I wasn't sold. I wasn't sold on the UK until Friday. But anyway, I, I, I mean, I'm not saying that people are falling over themselves to science. I know, although we have had some emails um, that, that have come in asking where people can claim their five thousand um, pounds. But you know, so so. But it, I'm not saying that, that there's a sort of wave of support, but the wave of interest and engagement, I think, is is worthy in and of itself. Can you give us a bit more insight into the current? political dynamics on the policy. I, I think our listeners have a decent sense of what it is in the US, but as far as which constituencies tend to be more in favor of it, which are more opposed, what are the different reasons there? Naturally, progressive constituencies tend to be more engaged, um, but it divides up. So the Labour Party, which is the main opposition party here, has already said that it is interested in funding basic income experiments. And that has become ever more clear over the last few weeks that, that, was their, that that's their position. So that's a, that's a big change. The Scottish National Party, which is in government in, in, in Scotland, is exploratory towards it. But the fact they've laid aside some money to explore it, I think, is significant. The Green Party which obviously the environmental party, but other issues as well, has, has been uh, long advocated uh, the basic income. But what's interesting, and the Conservative Party, which is currently empowering in, in coalition, is very dismissive of it. It doesn't want to engage. So it says things like, you know, we, we believe in a hand up, not a hand out. And, and to me, that's a bit of a sort of, you know, computer says no style response, i.e. we just don't want to engage. So we're just going to just going to throw a slogan at it and that will deal with that one. And we can, we can carry on doing what we're doing anyway. Um, so that's been disappointing. So I would have hoped for more engagement from the thoughtful centre-right of politics. But there's debates within progressive politics as well. And, and there is a sort of, you know, a, a technocratic progressivism that is very bought into the current architecture of the way the social contract works with the welfare state in the UK and so on. Because, of course, you know, the, the, the progressive Labour Party was in power until 2010. There's still a commitment to a lot of things that the Labour government did, including setting up the current structure of tax credits and welfare supports and, and so on and so forth. So there is a there is a disappointing divide within progressive politics. And the, the big disappointment within that space is those who are more centrist in terms of their, their, their progressivism have kind of deployed the same 
um, the same caricatures as as the centre right. So, you know, a significant MP said that basic income would lead to social wastelands of you know drug taking and crime, or words to that effect. And it's just disappointing that progressives, even if they're sceptical, kind of come out with that sort of dismissive response. Having said that, the ground that's been made uh, more broadly is very very significant. So you mentioned the Scotland Fund for UBI. Can you tell us a bit more about what's happening there and if it connects to your proposal? There is an RSA in Scotland, and we've been very active in this in this conversation. Um, there are four um, local areas, local authorities, um, as we call them, um, who have volunteered um, and are looking at the feasibility of hosting basic income style experiments. So that's um, the cities of Glasgow and Edinburgh, and then Fife and North Ayrshire. Um, and the fact that those four local areas came forward and said we want to do it, um, basically opened the door for the uh, Scottish government uh, in their their key sort of five-year strategy last year. Um, one of the signature announcements was that they were going to support um, the development of some feasibility studies into basic income pilots in Scotland. And there is support, with the exception of the Conservative Party currently um, in Scotland, uh, across the board at diff- in different ways um, to explore basic income. It's a very different political conversation in, in Scotland. In fact, I appeared before the Social Security Committee in, in the Scottish Parliament, and the conversation is more about inequality and poverty and the impact of the current uh, welfare institutions on societies in Scotland. And they're far more open to that sort of conversation than, than um, uh, Parliament in London has been up until now. So can you tell us now that you've seen this reaction, what are your plans for future work and advocacy around basic income? Um, we're going to keep on going. We do a lot of research into the future of work and and technology and automation and what good work uh, looks like and what um, good growth looks like, inclusive growth, if you like. And we, we see basic income as part of those conversations. So we're, we're placing it in, in, in the center of that. It's a, it, it's a conversation that we're having in other localities in England to see whether we can get a, a similar set of volunteer areas um, in England to help create a bit of political pressure here. Uh, we'll continue to work with the localities in Scotland. Um, we're publishing a report in the next few weeks on how to do basic income experiments um, in a UK context. So we're, we're getting quite practical as well as as well as visionary. Um, and I think we will just continue to keep this on the agenda. We won't let it wane. We'll we'll, we'll keep putting opponents in an uncomfortable place and challenging them to be better in their opposition than they are. If that makes sense, um, because I don't think it's good enough that those who oppose are um, willing to um, really to surrender to such ready caricature. I think they need to be better opponents, or they need to start looking at this seriously. Because, you know, in a time of unpredictable change, and not even sort of anticipating, you know, automation and the robots. I'm just talking about the current environment and what's been experienced um, for for many people for, for for decades, and maybe an accelerating experience of economic insecurity in in, in um, some arenas. Um, we need some fresh and radical thinking. So we're not going to rest on our laurels and we're just going to continue to put a, what we hope will be a provocative yet persuasive case. That's really exciting to yeah. hear. Uh, is there anything else you'd like to add? All I would say is that we, we set out as many others have done on this, on, on, on this journey and, you know, 
two, three, four years ago, when whenever it was. And it's just staggering how this conversation has exploded. Um, however, I think there are um, pitfalls that, that can be identified. There are narratives, I think particularly the post-work narrative is one that appeals to a very narrow viewpoint that isn't the one that's going to carry this this forward. I think we need to, you know, the basic income movement needs to think quite readily uh, around how it can take us from the model of society, culture, economy work that we have now um, and and improve that rather than take us to a completely realm. And if we manage to connect with where people are, but be bold about where we can go in terms of in terms of change, then then I think we might start to build a bit of a bit of political momentum around it. Um, if we're not connected enough with those direct conversations, then then I think we'll we'll it, it will remain what what a good idea, um, but it will remain in the in the impractical um, basket. So I think there's a responsibility to this 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 conversation opening out, and the responsibility now is we have um, there is an opportunity to take this conversation forward so um let's see how how and whether we can do that that was anthony painter director of the action and research center of the rsa on the basic income podcast oh it's so exciting to hear about yeah. that shift in the uk and how his perspective I, I mean i feel like there's some mirroring to that perspective that i have and that basic income advocates in the u.s have around how quickly this idea has gone from very, very fringe to, to getting more traction. It seems like in the UK there may be a bit ahead of us that they now actually have a lot of members of Yeah, it sounds government. like a broad coalition. Yeah, and that they're, they're starting to be, I mean, just based on the reaction, it seems like there was to, to that proposal, this is something that's really being treated as like, oh, this is a very serious policy idea now, and maybe we're not quite to that point here in the US. Right, I feel like that caricature response that he said he gets a little bit of, but only from the strongest opponents. That is more the norm, perhaps, in the U.S. Uh, but we're getting to the point where it is a more serious policy discussion, where people have heard of it, where people get that this actually could be part of our future. I really like the term he used at the end, inclusive growth. Mm, I, I think yeah. that's something that, I mean, so often we have this, we set up growth and taking care of people as things that are inherently opposite right yeah and it's like you either take from the like business side and give to the people i right. guess i don't yeah <laughs> and and really flipping the script on that and and saying hey look there we actually have ways that we can encourage further economic growth while also making sure that everyone participates in that yeah and of course this a basic income would be a huge economic stimulus so I think it would be inclusive growth. I also found it notable how little he talked about automation and you know the robots coming for our jobs. And I think that, you know that that is something where people don't connect. It's, it's sort of an exciting idea. It, it gets people going, but it isn't really meeting people where they are. Uh, but where a lot of people are is financial struggle and right. not being able to take advantage of opportunities or the desire to educate yourself. So yeah, I, I think it's. That's an important shift in framing that we're seeing right now. Sounds like they're a little bit further along, but but yeah, here too. I totally agree. I think that I mean it's and it's such it's a hard balance because so many of us came to basic income through automation. Right. And Both that, of us, I think. Yeah, and that's I mean it's been so effective at forcing people. Yeah, to it provides urgency. Yeah, 
And so it's, I mean, if you think about the boiling product situation, it's like things get worse, get, they gradually get worse, 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 right. you don't do anything. Suddenly, when something big happens, we say, right. oh, we need to like consider radical new options now. And so I think automation has done that for many people, but is that actually what's going to really convince a broad swath of people? And is that, if, if that's the lens you're looking at, is basic income actually going to be seen as, as the right yeah. solution, as we talked about before, if you believe in the premise of a fully automated future, just getting a thousand bucks a month seems pretty insufficient. Right. But I think his larger point there really resonated, which is given that there's attention on this now, really thinking about how to proceed in a way that combats that caricature view and reaction to basic income. And, and being strategic about how we position this in order to turn it into the policy that is actually being considered for enactment. Yeah, and I feel like once we can get past that that caricature and make it into a, a more nuanced, messy discussion in a lot of ways, that's, I think, going to be a sign that we're, we're really right. getting there. Yeah. That'll do it for this week on the Basic Income Podcast. Thank you to our producer, Eric Davison. Please subscribe and leave us a rating or review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening to us. And please tell your friends to help spread the word, um, whichever continent you're on. Uh, we, we'd love to have more listeners. And we'll see you next week. Mm-hmm.